podcast delves into the minds of some of today's most ambitious and successful entrepreneurs. They have grown businesses that are disrupting the way we live, how and what we buy, and the way companies are run. How have the life experiences of this generation informed their success and what can we learn from them? I'm Catherine Eakers, and in this series, I'm going to be talking to five different entrepreneurs about how they took an existing market or business model and innovated it to suit changing needs, how they rolled with the punches and disrupted the status quo to reflect and even affect the world we live in today. We hear the phrase next generation a lot, but we wanted to talk to people who are facing these challenges right now. Not the next generation, but generation now. This week, we're talking to Tom Best, founder of the Auction Collective, which aims to simplify the auction process, making it accessible for more people. Tom, welcome. Thank you very much. An honour to be here. <laughs> we are delighted to have you. And also joining us is Laura Neal. Laura is a senior associate in our private client team here at Forsters. She plays a key role in running Forsters Art Group, which focuses on acting for galleries and auction houses, as well as estates, foundations and collectors. Laura, nice to have you too. Thank you very much for having me. So, Tom, is it true that you started off doing fruit and veg auctions in your village hall? What wonderful research, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, um, I'm a self-confessed auction geek. A lot of my friends say auction loser. Um, <laughs> I, I knew I wanted to work in the art world, so I kind of did research of everywhere to work, and I did work experience in the local auction houses and just fell in love with the auction world and that kind of idea of people passionately competing for an object that they all love uh, and so started doing work experience everywhere and, and the first auctions I ever took were selling fruit and veg in the village hall um, raising funds for the church roof which is a wonderful kind of like Dorset village <laughs> That's dream. amazing. Yeah. Some of the toughest auctions though. I was going to say were they hotly contested? Really hotly contested. You're selling like a bag of potatoes to a bunch of farmers who all grow potatoes and you're going up in 5p increments and you're with the local vicar and it's it's, it's a very tough crowd. It's I high pressure. I still do them now. It's good. Keep me in training. <laughs> but a noble cause. A very good cause. <laughs> so how did you learn your trade? Is it equivalent to becoming a chef? Are you sort of classically trained or just thrown in at the deep end? Uh, a little bit of both. I don't think it's a traditional route to start off with sacks of spuds um, <laughs> but I started at Christie's so I was at Christie's auction house and there you you get trained up through a sort of x-factor auction school so every two years they open it up to anyone who wants to be an auctioneer and you apply but you apply by taking a mock auction in front of all your peers and the established auctioneers and then slowly they knock people out round by round. And all along the way, they're coaching you and giving oh, you an wow. idea on, on how to learn. And then you get filmed the whole time. You get critiqued in how you're posturing and moving around. Realise, as I'm saying this now, <laughs> I'm kind of dancing. dancing. <laughs> um, and, yeah, trained up through that. And then finally one day released on the, on the public. But there's a professional auctioneer in the background ready to jump in and, <laughs> and uh, rescue you from when you inevitably get it wrong. And the gavel comes down at the wrong moment. Oh, the gavel. So the gavel on my first lot, not that you asked, but it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> my first lot, you spend months training for this. And um, your first lot, you've got your gavel, you bring it down in a very ceremonious way. Um, one thing I hadn't done was uh, folded my auctioneer's book all the way around. So the big kind of padded cover was where the gavel should have come down. So my first lot, which 
also didn't sell. It wasn't a great <laughs> moment. And there was not many people in the room. I went down to bring it down as a Christie's auctioneer with such pride, bringing down the gavel, my first ever lot sold, and it made absolutely no oh, noise no. at all because it hit the cover. Oh, it was that's the most so sad. Yeah, I can never relive that moment. Did you practice after that? Oh, very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, Christie's auctioneer through the X Factor. What happened next? What made you decide to leave Christie's, set up the auction collective, and, yeah... Talk us through that. So I was at Christie's for about six years, working in the Impressionist department, then Contemporary department, and I knew I wanted to work there. It was it was the best job in the world. You're getting paid to hang out with clients and talk about artwork. You're getting to stand up with the thrill of the auction in one of the oldest auction houses in history. It's a place where um, Degas' absinthe drinkers were sold, selling in the same room as that. It's, it's extraordinary history there. But the... I like to say a pre-midlife crisis because hopefully, I'm, hopefully <laughs> I'm still not no, midlife. You've got another crisis to come. You're yeah, fine. great. <laughs> Book that one in. Calendar invite for that. Um, we we sold at the time. It was the most expensive painting in the world. It was a Picasso femme d'agé. It was 107 million dollars. Wow. That's now been eclipsed by the uh, Da Vinci at Da Vinci at 450 million dollars. Um, Inflation. Yeah. yeah, different different market. <laughs> But it was the time that the um, war in Syria was kicking off and there was a, the refugee crisis. And I was working at Christie's, seeing these huge numbers and then seeing this other side of the world and thought, I'll just leave the art world for a bit, go and work in the charity sector. And so I left and worked for a humanitarian charity for a couple of years. And during that time, I, because I'm a, an auction addict, <laughs> I started you know, speaking to friends who had got to a stage in their life where they were no longer in the student flat and they were no longer in a big house share. They were starting to get places on their own, wanted to get artwork for their walls, but they couldn't either afford or understand the the gallery models that were out there. And and so saw a, I'd say an opportunity or a gap in the market. It sounds very kind of um, business focused. It was it was me having fun. I saw friends that wanted to buy artwork at the affordable level, but didn't really know how. I saw artists that were wanting to sell at this level, but couldn't reach those buyers. And this was in 2016, 17, so kind of like the the, the millennial experience-loving generation was really coming. Yeah, coming, before. Yeah, and I thought, well, we should run auctions. So I started doing pop-up auctions that were really pop-up, low-budget auctions. You know, having gone from standing in the great room at Christie's, I was now <laughs> standing on a table in East London, um, with a bunch of mates in the room, some artwork on the wall, an artist. I have my, my gavel, my, <laughs> my hammer and a card reader. And that was pretty much it. Just shouting out numbers to friends and they were buying stuff. And it was great. And helping these people buy artwork. And then people kept asking when the next one was. I thought, oh, maybe there's something in this. Maybe I could I, do this. As, yeah, so yeah. I kept going and then eventually quit my job in 2018 and went full time with it. So when you started, you didn't think that this would be something... No. I mean, no. You, I knew that there were people that wanted this and I knew that somewhere this could work. You know, we, When you've had a couple too many coffees or too many beers and you're sitting there going, but what if? What if this is suddenly a global from oh, This is the next Facebook. This is amazing. <laughs> and then you're like, no, come on, let's be, let's be serious now. But then the feedback from everyone was that it was so refreshing to be taking part in an auction. And, and again, I'm totally biased for auctions. So take everything I say with a pinch of salt. We, we were talking, actually, just before this. We, we love an auction, don't we? Well, that's yeah. it. OK, good. Right, I've already got my confidence no, you, you're fine. You're in safe hands. But, but it's... 
I think it's the only form of retail where negotiating a price is fun. And you're negotiating upwards, which is (laughs) Which shouldn't be fun. (laughs) And, you know, I'll take an auction and I'll, I'll look at people and I'll say, essentially I'm saying, would you like to pay more money than this person over here <laughs> and they go yes and you say great the bid's with you they punch their hair and like yeah it's mine you're like cool <laughs> i mean this is for a second <laughs> yeah and then you get back and, and and so forth but but it's it is fun and when you're with a room of people who are really passionate about it it just becomes emotional and there's that sense of winning like the the language around it you've won something <laughs> yeah you haven't won anything you still got to pay for it um but people really loved experiencing that. And they thought that, and I, I too thought that auctions were a very stuffy place to be in. Um, I remember when I called up Christie's, I was doing an internship or due to do an internship. So being the kind of class geek, I called them up to see if I could come to an auction beforehand. <laughs> if, I, if I'd known I was going to be locked in there for the next six years, I probably would have had more holiday. <laughs> But I called them up and I was like, can I come to one of the auctions? They said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, great, is it is it black tie? Like, what do I have to wear? And they're like, no, just, it's just normal, just be normal. And, you know, I thought that and, and so many of my friends thought that as well. Yeah. So what I was doing with these emerging artists and bringing them together, not only opening up auctions to these artists who are really keen for an auction model as well because it's a, ta- a place to test your prices it's a place where you can get underbidders who then buy yeah. other stuff yeah but also for the buyer um it was an opportunity for me to reinvent the auction model which sounds very grand but you know <laughs> traditional auction houses you've got the hammer price then you pay a buyer's commission on top and then vat on top of that and artist resale rights I got rid of all of that and included it in the main price. So what you bid is what you pay. And then I uh, developed some uh, downloadable bidding paddles so that it made it more like any other transaction that a, a, a young person was going through, which is when you buy your train ticket, it's on your phone. phone. You buy your plane ticket, it's on your So phone. you can do that so on we, your phone as well. So I also did it as a, a cost-cutting not cost-cutting, like a... a efficiency. A, a efficiency. Yeah. There we are, efficiency. <laughs> An efficient process, because it, it was a one-man band of mm. running these auctions. Um, and so instead of having a bids team that would give out bidding paddles to people and register everyone, like, well, let's do it on, on your phone. So as Download the app, here's your paddle. Coming to the auction, download your paddle, then wave your bidding paddle at us. Um, and it turns out... And I had, like, a two-year plan to do that, and we managed to do it in about three months. And when the first right. person did that and waved it, I was almost crying. And it turns out it's the world's first downloadable bidding paddle. Wow. Wow. Mm. Simple concept, but it definitely works. All right. It's very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but they're always yeah. the most, you know, it's always, it's always those yeah. concepts. You think that's so that's so simple. Why didn't I think of that? But the, the art yeah, world... Yeah, it's, it's the, genius, isn't it? Yeah. I, the art world and the auction world is quite, um, quite traditional. And there are... Because... Many of the institutions, particularly the auction houses, are so old. You know, Christie's and Sotheby's are 250, 300 years old. It's it's quite slow to turn mm. those things around and, and yeah. bring in, in change. And actually, I showed the bidding paddle to a uh, somebody at a big auction house. And uh, I said, <laughs> this is what I've developed, by the way. And he was so jealous. He's like, oh, I've been trying to do that for ages. <laughs> it just didn't yeah. get much traction. No. And how do you go about finding the artists? Is it by word of mouth? Do you go to graduate shows? How do you sort of come across them? So the 
at the beginning, we... So then I, I built the team and um, have an amazing uh, member of the team called Francesca Wilson, who's our curator. And she goes around the graduate shows. She goes to see exhibitions. She's fully embedded in that art scene. And it's an invite-only event. We invite artists to come and take part. It's a very curated uh, platform that we run. And that's what we did for the first couple of years, curating auctions and running them ourselves. Mm. But now, in 2020, the beginning of 2020, we actually pivoted from running in-house auctions to being a platform for other people to run auctions. So we help other people run auctions using our platform. And that came about through a mixture of um, seeing the way how commerce is changing in the way that more people are going direct to consumer the creator economy, the pandemic, everything, the art world just all went online. There's, there's mm. so, many, so many other industries. And that opened up this this huge opportunity for one-to-one commerce. We were listing yeah. things on our platform and the artists all suddenly had shops and Instagram accounts that were listing the same things. And we're thinking, hang on, are we competing or what's, what's, what's our added value? And then also we had a lot of people, we developed live streaming technology, timed auction technology, which is the eBay start countdown clock. And during the pandemic, we had lots of people contacting us saying, can we use your website to, to run an auction? I'm like, oh, this, this might be a business plan. Okay. <laughs> so you've got the, sort of, yeah, the setup yeah. infrastructure in place. Yeah. And so we pivoted to be a platform You're on to help. Unlo- your downloadable paddle, etc. Exactly. Well, we pivoted then to be a platform to help others and we provide auction services for them. And so it's less about us picking the artist now we now work with artists who run auctions of other artists work so group shows Mm. um exhibition shows and charities running auctions art organizations galleries running auctions so now we work with partners that they select the artists and and bring them forward which has been really exciting and so we actually run two auctions now in-house only two one which is uh, it's called 50 by 50 which is where we send 50 canvases for about A4 size to 50 of our favourite artists and ask them all to drop their prices to £50. And uh, they normally sell at around £600 to £1,000, but this is a a chance to open up not just the buying experience, but the auction experience to people who can't Mm. get involved. Mm. Because even if you don't win it, you've still had your chance to put your hand up. Yeah, the excitement of... Exactly, and... And so we do that, but we also do an auction called the Top 100, where we look at the last year of artists that have been through our platform because they've been with galleries or charities. Like We, we had 43 auctions last year, and we've now worked with over 2,000 artists. And so wow. we see all these artists coming through, and we see some of them going for you know, high prices and, and doing very well, and we think, oh, we put together our Top 100 for the year, and we invite other curators to come and contribute to that um and so that's where we where we find our artists is actually through our partners who host on the platform do you sort of go out and try and sort of seek people spread the word you know auctions are brilliant this is how you can buy some art oh, I mean, we've got the sound bite there I mean, you're, you're, you're now part of the marketing team <laughs> i actually I, I, I want to give i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a go because i am one of the people you described who you know i don't know enough about art to know what I'd be buying. I'd feel a bit nervous going, I love an auction, but 
I've never been to an art auction but, and I would be too nervous. But if you don't know about what you're buying, that's how, and again, ignore everything I say if it's too auction heavy, but if you don't understand the pricing of something in an auction, you see other people bidding and that kind of gives you confidence mm. in the price because you go, oh, this is, this is a thousand pounds because... Those they all want all it. Being, yeah, and yeah. so it's great. Yeah, well, if you go into a gallery, which I don't often do, but when you do, you're like, how, why yeah. is that? Is that good value? Is it bad value? I don't know. <laughs> how do you compare? Is it, yeah. and you kind of look over your shoulder, is it just me that they're asking this? <laughs> yeah. Is anyone else? So, sorry, the question, the question was, yeah, was how marketing. do you find people? Yeah, how so, do you find people like me? Yeah. So that's one thing we, you know, we, we offer two things to our, to our sellers, our clients. One is the technology and the platform and our auction expertise. And the second is our database of buyers. And we keep building that in order to, to, to keep having a good product for our, uh, our sellers. And we, you know, we, we're listed on, on several wedding shop sites so people can add us to their, to their wedding list. We've got uh, social media campaigns. We have all sorts of kind of traditional marketing uh, plans. But actually a lot of our audience just grows so organically because every time we do an auction it's it's a network effect of we'll run an auction and everyone promotes it you've got mm. an artist with 40,000 followers on Instagram they're promoting it and if you've got that 20 times that's a that's a big reach and so we always run our auctions we encourage our clients to run our auctions around the same time so there is crossover so kind of the auction seasons are February to March and then June again and then in November October, November. And that way we've got all our clients pushing it together and so we get huge uh, kind of cross-pollination buyers and, and reach. Are those auction seasons specific to you or are they the, the traditional ones? Or? Well, they've kind of, it kind of happens through the normal commerce sales. You know, January is always quiet. August, everyone's on, on holiday and July is kind of, everyone's thinking about being on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> um, then it's Christmas. And then Christmas yeah. is... Everyone's always, you know, you can't, with with an auction, you can't guarantee you're going to buy it. So if you're buying Christmas presents, it's quite hard to make sure that you you don't want to be let down on the yes. Christmas Eve and think, oh, I, was, I could have got you five things, but I got out bids because <laughs> I just don't love you that much. Yeah. <laughs> really great Christmas you're going to have. <laughs> but actually, we, we are, um, you know, there's three reasons that our clients use auctions. One is to sell off masterpiece objects you don't know the value of it so the best way to find the value is put it out there as an auction it's an open-ended market let the market decide the price mm -hmm. and that might affect how you price things in the future the second is a marketing stunt to just get more people involved if you run an auction and you spreading the word out to everyone you've got maybe you have one item that sells really high but it only sells once and you've got 10 other underbidders that are all really keen to buy a similar object. You can make additional sales to them. And the third is a, um, sounds quite crude, but, <laughs> but a clearance sale. You know, if you, if you just, <laughs> everything must go. <laughs> everything must go. If, if you just want to, uh, to move your, your stock on or refresh your studio, then an auction's a great way to do it because you can drop your price to your sale price and there's a the chance that it might go back mm. up to the original price. A yeah. chance it might even go higher. And so we now run a series of studio sales with artists. In fact, we have uh, 30 coming up in February. Wow. wow. Where artists have got 
gone through their studios and said, right, I need to refresh this or I've got a really big project coming up. I need to get some funds for that bridge project or I'm moving studios. There's a whole host of reasons why people are running these sales. But they are dropping their prices dramatically and then putting them all together at an auction to see what happens. So we've got that. So to your point about when in the auction calendar, we're we are starting to drive an idea of a instead of January sales, it's the January auctions for Clearing clearance and, and starting the year. And hopefully it'll be a this time next year is the only thing people will be talking about. Yeah. Black Friday auctions through the auction collection. Be January vegan January won't be a thing. No, be all... Or can you read? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. That is just as easy to say. <laughs> yeah, totally. So what do you think kind of you know when you were doing your working in humanitarian aid what bits do you think you took if any from that to the auction collective or was it more sort of the experience of wanting to sort of do something to help people I suppose you brought forwards or are there anything more other elements no well driven by the kind of passion and desire to to feel feel like you're doing something more meaningful Mm. with your life than just um, selling objects for more money yeah. <laughs> to other people, yeah. which sounds very um, crude. But actually, I also realised that you don't need a, a business card that says you're a good person to be a good person and that not everyone needs to quit their jobs to go and work for charity. You can, As long as you're a good person on the day-to-day, then that's that's better than, than a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I won't just... go too down that rabbit hole. That's a, that's a different different podcast. Um, but... Presumably, it's really you know gratifying to see those artists you've supported in the early days who you know were selling for very low prices, and now their careers have taken off. But you know, primarily or you know partly because of your support. There has been that's been incredibly rewarding seeing artists that we've worked with that never had that auction exposure that were growing their audience that have then the direct correlation between working with us and them having a successful career um yeah that was feeling amazing it's amazing and then the feedback as well that and it's not always you know it's not always great for our bottom line when you know i called up one artist once and their work didn't sell in the auction very sad about that and and they said no it's amazing just to be involved in the show plus an architect got in touch with me and bought six other things because of your auction i was like great hang on (laughs) (laughs) you've missed out and that again is one of the reasons why we pivot to become a platform because we Mm -hmm. are you know we're not bringing the buyers together for our sales we're bringing the buyers together for our artists to benefit and grow Mm -hmm. with their uh sales and so actually with the uh, humanitarian work i was working for a innovative humanitarian network called the start network which was 47 aid organizations that were creating different ways to respond to humanitarian disasters and that was fascinating uh looking at again a very traditional sector mm. in a completely new light and I, very exciting things that, that i never thought i'd get excited about like insurance <laughs> we ran a, a parametric insurance um humanitarian financing tool that meant insurance was paid out not when a disaster happened but on the parameter forecasting a disaster hey, wow. Oh, wow. so we got the german government to pay premiums for uh, senegal for a drought uh, insurance that meant with indicators in the ground that meant when the moisture content got to a certain level you knew a drought was coming and so this paid out three months before the drought happened which meant the government and the local organizations could start mitigating that effect of the drought so you hopefully never see it so 
working in an organisation like that, where you're looking at things in a completely new, disruptive, mm. constructive light, yeah. then made me look at the auction sector as well and think, hang on, I've been blinkered by the tradition of a 250-year-old yeah. company. Let's start afresh. Let's. Why can't we just do downloadable bidding paddles and no buyers premium and... Um, yeah, and so it, it, the variety of life and informing that innovation was was certainly part of that yeah. period. Yeah, because I mean, the, the sort of turning the financials on their head in in that way must have been quite a change, quite a challenge as well. Well, it it wasn't. It wasn't because a lot of our buyers have never bid in an auction before. Yeah. So for them, it was yeah. Why wouldn't you? Of course, mm. they, like what you bid is what you pay. And then it's only when they go to a traditional auction house, they go, what? I've got to pay <laughs> an extra commission on top. And yeah. so, and, and I suppose for the artist, because I was, I was thinking perhaps more for the sellers, but then actually in more traditional auctions, the artist isn't the seller, are they? Yeah. So that was another thing that we did that was different. I say we, it was it was just me. Then. <laughs> the royal we. Yeah, the royal we. <laughs> me and my gavel. Was, um, that's, oh, that's an Don't get a credit card reader. That is <laughs> yeah. a good autobiography day. Yeah. Um, was was working directly with artists. Yeah, rather than secondary market things exactly. that presumably make it much more complicated. And, I mean, is it is it as gratifying being in a room full of, you know, Monet fans and you're doing a, you know, a big collection of a massive work, say one of those £100 million jobs, to selling, you know, an artist's work directly on the primary market? Is, is the atmosphere the, the same, the passion, it's, or it's different? I think... You know, the passion for an object, it doesn't matter about the value. You know, collectors are funny beasts. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when I was working at Christie's and we had one, we were selling a very significant work on paper collection for a very well-known artist. And the owner wanted to go in and just spend one last afternoon looking at his artworks before they were sold. And started crying whilst looking Aww. at them. Um, another bidder who was, was leaving the building on another event, almost in tears, and I really worried about them. I asked what had happened. And he'd just been outbid on something else. You know, there's such high energy in this. Mm. Um, and that it doesn't really matter on the value or the kind of blue chip nature of it. It's when you've got a burning desire and passion for it and you're involved in an auction, you just, it's wonderful to see. It's all, some of the best auctions have been the most, um, I mean, no one's ever so passionate about a sack of potatoes, but some, <laughs> some of the best ones have been those lower value ones where it's the first time you're buying it. I remember mm. we, we had one event where um, there was a, a team of, of bar staff who were helping with the auction and one of them started bidding and they bought something for £50 and we've got a monthly payment scheme where you can spread your payments out over 10 months and they could do that. Great. Suddenly it really is That's an amazing. affordable yeah. artwork. Yeah, completely affordable. And punching the air with the excitement about that their first ever art purchase and you see them walk out the room like spying straight being like yeah. oh, I was bidding in an auction you see me I'm a big deal that is a real sort of I'm a grown up yeah thing, yeah, which I have yet to achieve yeah. we can make There's your dreams time. come true yeah. Yeah. <laughs> artist studio sales come out <laughs> I'm going to look into this I really am it must be lovely to feel that you are just opening up a world yeah. for so many people and we've and we work a lot with artists and charities, and so we do a lot of. So this year we've helped raise over eight hundred thousand pounds for different charities through the auctions. And when you actually stop and think about what that's achieved mm. and what the impact is, like that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't yeah. done all the work and put together the platform and brought everyone together. So it's yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah, absolutely. 
So really sadly, we're probably coming to the end of our time with you. Um, so just one final question. Tom, knowing what you know now, what would you do again and what would you avoid? Well, wonderful question. I think <laughs> what I would avoid, I think it's, it's really tough because everything I know now has been learnt through experience, good or bad. And I don't think I'd be able to make the decisions now, the business decisions as a startup or the auction decisions and advice to clients if I hadn't gone through those highs and lows and probably more the lows that <laughs> really do affect that. So I don't think I'd change anything. And the fact that I'm you know, sitting here with you guys is a wonderful experience. Can't, can't fault anything <laughs> in my history that's led to this moment today. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I do really think that there's, if you know, doing it all again, I'd have to go through those pitfalls mm. to, to really learn what works well and what the best business and what the best things for startup life, but also auction world is. Um, but if I was giving advice to someone going through this, sounds very grand, going through the journey, <laughs> um, would be I have kept a diary on and off of what's Your happened life. of my life. Ready for me and the gavel. <laughs> yeah, ready for the book coming out. <laughs> and looking back on that, and keeping those emails that are significant, taking a screenshot of your phone of when your Instagram account passed 2,000, 5,000, when you see the, the celebration that you did about getting 1,000 people using your website and a screenshot of your original website, just creating your own archive, your own mini museum to, to you and, <laughs> and, the, and the product has been wonderful. And I wish I've done did that more. To then when you're perhaps going through a really low moment and you need a pick-me-up, mm. so you pull out those emails from clients saying, you've literally changed my career and my life because because of you I've been able to do this. You're like, great, let's keep going. Yeah. Or you're about to make a business decision that is totally wild and you look back and you think, oh, definitely not doing that because that's what happened last time. <laughs> or even like in a practical term when you're you're turning around to an investor and you want to show them your journey and you can say, oh, yeah, we, we started like this, this is the story, and you've actually got content mm. for that um so that's why i'd recommend that's and that's why i do more is, yeah. is is make more of a both a diary but kind of archive curate your life yeah, yeah. which sounds really vain no, and i'm not that. i'm not I saying i'm gonna like set up an exhibition of it anywhere but it's just for yourself to, to kind yeah. of i think that's i think that's a great learn. idea actually i was giving i was doing um, like an annual review for someone actually yesterday and who's just starting out and my advice was like write down every so often a few bullet points about things you are finding hard and then look back on them and say mm. now I can do them yeah. but yeah, I really like your idea I might even try and do it it might be my January resolution I think that sounds very sensible that <laughs> signing up for the sales January and, and orc January oh, orc January <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, first. <laughs> um, Tom really sadly that is all we have time for today but thank you so so much for joining us it's been a real pleasure and I have learnt a lot uh, and thank you also to Laura Neal for joining us too and our producer Sophie Black uh, Generation Now was brought to you by Forsters to find out more about us go to forsters.co.uk and thank you very much for listening